How's everyone doing? Doing well? Okay, good. Uh, you, can, you cannot be more tired than I am because, not that it's a, a competition. Actually, it sounds like anybody playing Fortnite like Maddox might be the most tired, but I, I was up a little bit later last night than usual, um, uh, smoking uh, pork for today, uh, like Ben said. So uh, I've never done this amount of pork, so you have to be gentle to my soul. Um, it, you know, it's said actually, by the time you're 40, and you're a guy, you, ha- you have between one of three things to choose from to really go deep into, uh, birding, World War II history, or smoking meat. I, isn't that true, though? Like, you look, think about your dads or uncles or whatever, and it's like, oh, man. <laughs> so uh, today's going to determine if I keep smoking meat or if I need a new pair of binoculars. So you have to be very gentle to me. Let me know how it goes. So... Uh, as Ben said, we are starting a, a, a brand new series, just a small, uh, brief two-week series called To the Root. It's about the journey to find connection and community in a culture of disconnection. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that today, but I actually want to jump right into the scripture and read from our text today. Uh, so we'll be in John 15, uh, verse 1. You can read it up on the screen or turn in your Bibles to it. Here are the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. These are the true words of God. Amen. So, In 2018, England did something that was unique, but soon other countries started to follow. It appointed a minister of loneliness, a a government official, to address and to um, uh, uh, provide alleviation from the issue, the pervasive issue of loneliness. Uh, Japan, like I said, uh, soon followed, and they wanted to tackle head-on what's seen now and and understood as a pervasive epidemic. Dr. Vivette Murthy, he's a three-time U.S. Surgeon General under 
Presidents Obama, Trump, and Biden, he has spilled much ink talking about the pandemic of loneliness. He has articulated the danger that, that we as humans face as we think about this issue. He says this. He wrote uh, years back in the Harvard Business Review, loneliness is a growing health epidemic. We live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization, yet rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. Today, over 40% of adults in America report feeling lonely, and research suggests that the real number may well be higher. Additionally, the number of people who report having a close confidant in their lives has been declining over the past few decades. In the workplace, many employees and half of CEOs report feeling lonely in their roles. Loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in the lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You might think, yeah, everybody's lonely. Just suck it up. Get on with it. No, it's, it's, it's terrible for our health, actually. What it does to us is worth, worse than, than, a, than a cigarette addiction and habit. And even greater than that associated with obesity, loneliness causes stress. And long-term or chronic stress leads to more frequent elevations of a key stress hormone, cortisol. is also linked to higher levels of inflammation in the body. This, in turn, damages blood vessels and other tissues, increasing the risk of heart disease, diabetes, joint disease, depression, obesity, and premature death. Chronic stress can also hijack your brain's prefrontal cortex, which governs decision-making, planning, emotional regulation, analysis, and abstract thinking. Which is all to say... Your diet could be on point. You could do paleo, primal, keto, whatever it is. You could go to the gym three, four days a week, get enough sleep, eight hours plus, sneak a nap in there every once in a while to the glory of God, and you could still be worse off than someone who has close friends and they smoke together. Isn't that interesting? Like, I would not recommend that. Let me just be really clear. <laughs> Do not take up a smoking habit because you need friends. It's not what, that's not my point. Go to the gym, eat clean, and solve this issue in your life. A loneliness epidemic that is causing us to shorten our, our lifespans. God has something for you to do in this life, and it would be a tragedy for you to, cut, to have that cut short because you did not include anyone in your destiny. This alarm is shared by the research that Robert Putnam did, who detailed in his book, Bullying Alone, a decline in social capital that has occurred, uh, and it it's expressed waning interest in civic and communal engagement. His research noticed how since the 1950s, there's a continued loss in membership in organizations such as the Knights of Columbus, the League of Women Voters, and so on. He most aptly used bowling as an illustration uh, bowling leagues specifically, the number of people who bowled had increased 20% or uh, increased in the 20 years before his research, but the number of leagues had plummeted. He wrote a book called Bowling Alone, where he argued more people were bowling than ever, but they were doing so by themselves. So it's not only that, that we feel lonelier, lonelier there, it's true that also that we're doing more things alone. In other words, we have this acute sense of being on our own, and yet we're doing more things that undergird that habit. And, and where many of us turn, especially those in, in millennial Gen Z uh, generations, 
many of us, because we don't have that social un- undergirding that, that many Gen Xers, boomers, and so on do, we turn online to get our needs met, to push back against loneliness. So we're, we're using a disembodied solution to meet our needs, and it's causing us, I don't know if you've been online on social media lately, it's not a great place if you're looking for friends. It's a great place to get in an argument about nothing, right? So anyone that's looking to form close friendships, what you have to choose from are like not great places, basically. So we know, we know we are a disconnected generation. And we, we know some of what to do, but what we're turning to to solve our problems is calling, causing us to be angrier and more lonely and more cut off and left to ourselves. So, in this series, uh, briefly, we want to talk about the importance of community. I doubt this is going to be new information for any of us. I, I doubt that because we've, we just we keep banging this drum about how important community and connection is. But we need to be reminded. So if you're like, okay, I can, I can kind of tune out, check Facebook to see what my friends are doing, or whatever during the message, like, like plug in. Tune in to what's going on, what the Spirit is doing in your life now. Because this may be, you not, may not feel this acutely right now, but there are times in your life where you will be reminded that I feel really lonely. We just, we tend to cover it up with, like I said, social media, but also busyness. Work has become another religion. Politics have become another religion for a lot of people. We cover over our loneliness in some false ways that I'll get to at the, at the end of the, the talk here. But what I want you to, to, to clue into is that even though it may be covered over in these, in these moments of, of your life, for me, most of it, it's really there. Let me, let me ask you this question. Do you have a 3 a.m. friend? Do you have someone who is not your spouse that if at 3 a.m. something was happening that's terrible to you, you could call them, text them, and you know that they would answer and be there for you? Do you have someone local like that? So not your brother in Kansas City or your sister in Seattle or whatever it is, but do you have, if you had a crisis, if it was a mental health crisis or you had a, uh, a vehicle crisis, you're, you're driving home from Colorado after conquering a 14er and your tire blows out in western Kansas, middle of nowhere, like who is going to be there for you? That's what we're talking about. Who's there to just listen, to not judge who knows your history? Who knows the things that you struggle with that when you're having a crisis, you can call and they can just listen to your voice and say, I'm, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Can we pray together? Who is there in your life? Who is there in your life local to be that support system? And, and hopefully it's not just one person that you have a, a few 3 a.m. friends. But for many of us, we're going, yeah, I don't, I don't actually have that. When I'm lonely, I turn on Netflix and I doom scroll at the same time a lot of times and order DoorDash. That's what covers over my loneliness. I know many of us don't have that support system and our lives are so fragile. For many of us, we're one crisis away from rock bottom. We're, we have such thin bonds of relationships around us. And we're really one crisis away from just hitting total bottom because we have not cultivated relationships. in life. We haven't been that person for someone else when asked and called on to be that. 
And so in this brief series, we just want to remind each other, we're not meant to live life this way. In the, the West, that is so individualistic, it, it is no, there, there's no uh, uh, coincidence because we're so individual, individualized, we're so isolated. And yet Jesus presents to us a competing vision of what life could look like that leads to human flourishing. A life of strong, thick bonds with one another, centered on him, but giving life in, 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 in just, he gives life through them just the same as he does one-on-one to us. Let's actually jump in. Again, John 15. He says this, I'm the vine, I'm the true vine. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This, this right there, that verse explains a lot of the heartache that you're going through right now. Many of you are going, God, why is life so hard? It's a pruning. This is actually, instead of like an ouch passage, it should be an aha passage. Because Jesus has never promised us ease and comfort in this life. He, have, he has prom- promised us great joy in his presence. But to get there, it's, it, it takes great pruning on our part. So that we slough off all the things that are not of God to get and draw closer to him in his presence. So, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Notice how that's a both and. Remain in me as I remain in you. This isn't just a let go and let God. This is a you're as close to God as you really want to be. Did you know that? You're as close to God as you really hunger for in your heart of hearts. It's not a, a, a statement to, to, to condemn anyone, but it's just to awaken us to like, God has drawn close to us in Jesus, and he waits a response. There's a wooing, a gentle, like a relational wooing, a back and forth, that God doesn't, doesn't just give everything of himself. You have, you have salvation by grace through faith as a free gift. You get all of that forever. But the relational side of drawing close and, and knowing God and being known by God actually takes effort on our part. It takes showing up, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's boring, of drawing close. He says, abide in, in me as I abide in you. It's a both and. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is one of the seven I am statements that Jesus uh, uses in the Gospel of John. I am the uh, uh, living water, etc., etc. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So many of us ask, what is God's will for my life? This is it. This is is God's will. This is to my Father's glory that you would bear much fruit. He He wants you to bear fruit in your life. And he wants to, that, that fruit to be a confirmation that you are his apprentice. You are his disciple, a follower of Jesus. An apprentice of Jesus is, is someone is with him, someone is, is laboring to become like him, so that in order they could do the things that he does. 
To follow Jesus is to look more and more like Jesus as life goes on. As you get further in, into maturity in your life, that, that you, you become a person of love. You don't stay a, an infant. You don't stay a, 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 a weak, immature part of the vine that doesn't bear fruit. It's someone that has the capability in the grace of God to bear fruit because they recognize without Jesus, left to myself, left to my own devices, I really can do nothing. I have nothing to offer in and of myself. And that is, that is such, a, that is such a, a shot across the bow of our contemporary culture that, that, that you know, and I, uh, I love personality tests. I don't know if you like, I think if you've been around Mosaic, you've probably heard of us talk about, I'm an Enneagram One, which means nothing and something all at the same time. You know, like Myers-Briggs. It's not really true, but it's kind of helpful, you know, and I don't know how that works, but uh, my strength finder, I'm a learner, I'm a strategist, you know, it's all that good stuff. I like knowing how God has wired me and put me together, and yet I can know myself so well, and I can know my strengths and lean into those. I can show up in areas of my life, in areas of my strength, and just like knock it out of the park, and yet if I'm doing that disconnected from God, there might be a moment, that, like he's so kind, to let us look like it's bearing some fruit. He, he, he's so kind, because it's kindness that leads to repentance, right? He's so kind to let us have some kind of success in our life. But there will come a point where that crumbles, or the reward is not satisfying the way that it could be. It doesn't lead back to Jesus, the way that he has is, he is created creation to work. And so a disciple bears much fruit because they know without Jesus, I can do nothing. I have nothing good in and of myself to offer. Like, God loves me perfectly. He's wired, created me. He gives me life and breath. And out of that abundance and overflow of our relationship, I have something to offer back to the world. And yet, so many of us read this passage and I just want to um, challenge our, our Western reading of this entire thing, because so many of us are reading this as if Jesus is talking to us individualistically and personally. Isn't that how you read it, how I just explained it? It's like he's talking to you, and he's talking to you, and he's talking to you, and he's having all these separate conversations about you and you alone, right? You can bear no fruit without me. Like, yeah, I need, to, I need to really work on myself and my connection with God so that I have a, a blessed life, right? And what I want to tell you is that spiritual formation, that's really what he's talking about. Spiritual formation in the way of Jesus is not project self. Being formed in the image of likeness of Jesus means that we are not doing this on our, on our own because I don't... Uh, of, of, uh, and on my own, I have nothing good to offer. I have nothing good to offer e- even in my own spiritual formation. It takes God, and in this next section, we'll find where God places himself. So let's keep reading. As the Father of love has loved me, so I have loved you. Now what I want to tell you is, the you is not an individual you. It's a you all. Because that's who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples. They're in a a group of young men gathered together to receive his instructions to carry on his mission. So he's saying, "As, as the Father has loved me, all of you, 
together I have loved you the same. The same strength of love, the same grace that flows from the Father to the Son, flows from the Son to His disciples, to His church. And so we have to banish this thinking that I can work on my spiritual formation all by myself. I can work on my character. I can become a fully formed human being in the way of Jesus and do that on my own. Take or leave other people in my life. No, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. The point is you, togetherness. Okay, continues. Now remain, abide in my love together. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you that this so that my joy may be, may be in you and your joy may be complete. My joy may be in all of you and your joy may be complete. Meaning, if you want to find Jesus to follow him, where is he? He's in and among the church. Yes, I know his presence is everywhere. We can, we, I, I, am, I am so thankful for the Reformation that said we don't have to go through a priest or someone to get to God. We can approach him boldly, individually. But we take that too far to mean I never need anybody else. And Jesus, all these yous that he's using, you can count them on your own because there's a lot. It would take you time. He's talking about corporate, gathering, church, believers, plural, together. So yes, you should and you can talk to God on your own. Draw close to him in prayer and worship in your life. But never forget that it takes all of us. Because love is never a singular thing. Even the Trinity itself. God is three persons. Therefore, he is perfect love. He is loved in and among himself. Among the three persons of the Trinity perfectly. But if there's a singular God, he could not say that he is love. It takes two, at least, to express love. And I will tell you this. It takes two, at least, to to learn and know how you're falling short of love. Because we all have blind spots, don't we? Spouses, you can nod for your, your spouse, and that's okay. We all have blind spots. The problem is you don't know where they are. And God has placed people in your life for your benefit because he loves you and wants to bring you into fullness of joy to point out where those blind spots are. I can't tell you how often the voice of the Holy Spirit ends up sounding like my wife, Sarah. It's uncanny. It's uncanny. It really is. And even, even more as my boys are growing older, the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like them, too. It's really fascinating. I'm not really used to that. I'm used to being the dad that has all the wisdom, and now they're giving me feedback and saying, hey, I didn't like it when you said it that way. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's, I'm sorry. <laughs> I repent and forgive me, please. It, we need each other in this vision of human flourishing that Jesus is laying out for us to bear maximum fruit in our lives. Okay? He continues, my command is this, love each other. There you go. It's, it's elaborated on. It's one, one of the one another's of the New Testament. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. 
Instead, I have called you friends. I have called all of you friends together. Okay? For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father, uh, in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love, love, love one another. So we, we want to be a church that practices love, but not just individually. Loving yourself is great, but it's loving your neighbor. Remember when Jesus was asked, what's the, what's the great, greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So self-love really is important in there. Knowing your true self, how God has created you and wired you and put you together. We, we need to delve into that so that the strength of that love there is, is overflowing from God to us and us to other people. Okay? But we have all these, we have more, like, like love for us oftentimes is this uh, infatuation. It's, it's uh, chemicals mixed together. It's not self, the, the, the willing good of another person. The willing sacrificial lifestyle where you give your life for the other person. That's what Jesus has in mind. In fact, it's, uh, it's kind of common these days. There's, there's this, uh, I don't know, subsection of a subsection on the internet. Um, they call them Theo bros. I don't know. I'm going to like show my nerdiness and how like down the rabbit hole I go sometimes. Anyway, there's this, the, the false male bravado, because we don't have a lot of great examples of masculinity and manhood today. Um, a lot of times what you'll see is these young men that are, that are coming of age through adolescence into manhood, and they have this bravado that's couched under love. And so it's not uncommon, especially like throughout the years of being a pastor where I've discipled different young men, I see this pop up every once in a while like, yeah, I'm a, I would take a bullet for my friend, or I would take a bullet for my wife. I'd lay my life down just like Jesus says. And the thing is, like, self-sacrificial love, we love when it's like these big acts of, of grandeur. But the question I usually ask, and I've had to ask myself, is sure you'd say you'd take a, you get up at 3 a.m. for your wife to check on the noise down, that's great. Uh, you'd take a bullet for it, that's wonderful. But will you take out the trash? Like, that's self-sacrificial love. It's, it's not glamorous. You're not, she's not going to tweet about you or X about, I don't know what the thing is called anymore, but uh, you're not going to be known for that stuff here on earth because that's just the daily stuff, interactions that we do for people. Are you going to answer the phone when it's inconvenient or do you let it go to voicemail? Are you going to send the text or are you going to like leave someone on red and get back to them a couple days later? Like those are the little things that we need to really ask ourselves, do I really love like Jesus? Am I willing to be inconvenienced? Am I willing to show up when I'm called on? Yeah, I had plans to do that. You know, today's like $4 movie day. Like all the movies that don't, like, come to the family meeting and then go to a meeting. But I'm just saying, like, I have plans to see a movie and someone can call and interrupt that and I'm out four bucks or eight bucks and that's totally worth it to serve them. These big acts of, of like, bravado that prove to the world that we love people, that's great. But Jesus says there's your reward. When you let it be known, when you let the world, when you brag on yourself, that's your reward. It's these smaller things, the things that nobody's going to find out about, the things that, that you do for your friend or your spouse that you don't even mention that you did. You're just like, 
you know, you washed their car or you at least washed the window, you filled up the gas, whatever, just because you were feeling like they were having a down day. The thing is like, you know, you can tell someone's having a bad week, a bad month, and you initiate instead of waiting for them to reach. We love to say, hey, if you need anything, let me know. And you put it all back on the other person who's going through a hard time. Why do we do that? I do that too, by the way. I'm calling all of us out. Instead, it's like, I'm going to show up with a pie. You know, there's a, there's a pie shop literally across the street. I'm going to get a pie. We're going to sit down and we're going to have pie together. And I just want to hear about what's going on in your life. Those are the little things that show that we actually love people. And those are the little things that really build community. You know, half of building community and connection is just showing up in person, being there with someone. Asking open-ended questions. How are you? You know, here's a secret. If, if, no, if none of you were ever good conversationalists, you're like, I'm awkward at small talk. Every week at church, we, we give you two questions just to ask people. You're like totally set up to be a great conversationalist. You could totally rip those off and use them. Yeah, I, I, you know, I tweaked a word and I came up with that myself. That's, that's totally fine. These are the small ways that show that we're connected. And we're not just connected to Jesus. I'm connected to the vine. It's me and him. But it's actually all y'all together. Um, I don't know if you've been out to Liquid Art or, or been to a vineyard. Actually, I'm glad you pulled that up. I know you can kind of see it. It's really interesting in this picture. If you go out to Liquid Art, what you'll see is a row of fences with all these grapevines, right? And you'll see the vine goes up vertical. And then, uh, and it's a, it's a row of these vines, just up vertically trained by the, the, the vine dresser, whatever, the, the master winemaker, whatever. And what they do is they train them up to keep them off the ground to produce more grapes. But then there's something interesting that as the, the vine branches out, you kind of lose track where one branch begins and another ends from another plant. I think that's a great pictorial analysis of the church is that if you want to be connected to the vine how do you do that well get connected to the church if you want to find jesus jump into the bramble of all the the intermingling of branches together and you'll find him right in the mix of that you guys know what i'm talking about do you do you do you am i just talking the talk you can't really see it you can kind of see it as it comes up you just lose this mess of branches, and they're all connected to the vine, and that's where the fruit is. The fruit isn't down on the ground. It's not down on the stalk near the ground. It's up in the mess, and that's where our fruit is, in the everyday mess of life. All the, the courage that it takes to say, hey, can you help me with this? Hey, I, I'm, I'm headed to the store do you want to go or do you need anything? All the mess of inconvenience, the, the, the seasonal neediness that we all experience, the loneliness, the aloneness, fruit is there. And it's, it's so ripe to be picked for anyone, any community that really wants to lean in to connection and abiding in the vine. So with that, I want to give you... Um, Three ways that we express, uh, three unhealthy expressions of community and connection, okay? And then I'll give you the one I think that 
that undermines and supplants that in a positive way. Because we are social creatures, we will often find ourselves leaning towards different communities, but they're not necessarily always the healthiest, okay? The first is the consumer church. Now, I talked about consumerism and the danger that that, uh, a consumeristic church has to the kingdom and and its own self a couple weeks ago, but it's so, this is so dangerous, I, I think it really does warrant further warning. So if you take, for example, the seeker-sensitive uh, seeker movement of the 80s and 90s, this was a church movement that said, okay, we want to reach the next generation of people. They're not coming to church. They're not engaged in church. How can we do that? And what they did, and, and from a missional, like a good heart of wanting to preach the gospel, what they did was, well, we'll show up and we'll ask them what they want from a church. What kind of church would you show up to if we had all the things that you wanted? And so a person was able to, to, to list off like, well, if you had a full espresso bar, that'd be great. If you had like a daycare throughout the week that didn't charge me hardly anything, that'd be, I'd definitely show up. If you had sports for my kids, if you had a big, you know, gymnasium, you, remember those gymnasiums with carpet? It was like basketball hoops and carpet. And it was this multi-purpose, you know, whatever that was in the eighties and 90s. I don't know if we still do that or not. Um, if you had, if you had lot, inspirational teachings and uh, really like contemporary worship, maybe even like mix in some radio stuff so that, so that I'm like some secular music so that I can like stomp my foot to it, I would show up to that church. Now, again, the heart behind it was how do we reach people that are not plugged into a church? What they did was they gave the keys over to what church should look like to people that were not for all... all you know, and I'm, oh, I sound really critical. I'm just trying to set a context. When, when you tell the most, like, non-spiritual people, we'll make something for you, you end up having non-spiritual fruit that's born. Now, the Secret Sensitive Movement did a lot of great things, but like, what it did, it said, in a have-it-your-way have culture, you just can have church any old way. And if you don't like it, you can move on to the next one down the street. And there, there came this churn of just people cycling through different churches because they were promised an experience. They were promised a program. And someone, some, someone somewhere else was able to promise bigger, better, more meaningful, whatever. Now, the thing is, the thing with catering to people's wants is that you, you might not ever get around to addressing their needs. You know, if, with my kids, we talk about wants and needs, and those are very different things. Like, I know you want popcorn at 10 p.m. at night. You do not need that. You need sleep, and I need you to be asleep. That's what I need. <laughs> so if someone says, uh, you know, I would go to that kind of church with all the, all the bells and whistles and fog machines and all that stuff, um, what may, they may really need is to set their flat white down and to pick up a toddler and, and rock her in the nursery because Jesus said that he came not to be served but to serve and give his life away to many. What people at some point need in their journey, and just speaking from my own experience, many times in my journey, I need someone to say, it's not about you, and it's not about what you want. It's all about Jesus. And there are people that don't know him, and so your life should be inconvenienced in order that they can hear the life-giving news of the gospel. Okay? So, secondly, is the enmeshed church. So Edwin Freeman and his groundbreaking work, it sounds really like, are you guys okay? Are we doing okay? 
Are you just looking forward to the, like, prove it, like, I made good pork? You're just kind of like, let's get on with it. This is like, I'll listen to Josh for a little while, and then I'm definitely going to eat the food later, but anyway, okay. Anyway, okay, so Edwin Freeman in the 80s and 90s had, had some great, uh, groundbreaking work on systems theory as applied to governmental agencies, organizations, and faith communities. And so he, he said any kind of organization um, organizes itself into some kind of system, like a family system. And so if you look at it, the, the immature ones, um, he really nailed this idea of herding where people gather around um, and, and are kind of, we would call it triggered today, but it's like reactivity. They're, they're high reactivity, and they're managing this kind of reactivity, and their, their identity is coming uh, from who they are together. And what happens is, in a herding mentality, is that there's not much growth that happens. There's a lot of ch- uh, immunity to change and avoiding of tough topics. And what you're doing is keeping the most anxious or immature person happy in, in that group. Okay? And so that's set apart from like a, a, a well-differentiated person that says, I'm an individual with my own destiny, wiring, my own needs, my own desires. The group is great, but God has all, also made me unique. And in a herding mentality, we're just all together. And you may have experienced this in different groups. There's usually this in language that comes across as code. Like people speak the same things, but it's kind of like weird because it's like nobody else talks that way. But they all have the same language that they use, and it's kind of coded language. So, and, and that sets you uh, in the in-group, in the bubble. And it comes at the cost of self-expression. Like if you ever were like, yeah, I'm not going to do that today. It's like, you know, we all homeschool our kids here. Nothing against homeschooling. But, you know, that, it might be a church that says, we all do this. You're going to do this too, right? You're like, you know, I think the private school is pretty cool. And it's like this record scratch of like, no, we don't do that here. And it's sort of this like... You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you guys know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's kind of the glazed over look of like, you're one of us now, aren't you? That's, it's this, <laughs> it's this codependent gathering of people that all have this in language and they, they shun outsiders. And so the downside beyond the lack of maturity and the high anxiety is that it doesn't really grow. It doesn't really include new people into the in group. Um, you have to like, there's high, high vences for making it in. It's usually only perpetuated by being born into it or having another um, codependent relationship that, that resonates so deeply like that that you, that you just sync up with them, right? And so... This deep level of hurting, um, yeah, like I said, it caters to the least mature, and it's usually, there's a lot of kind of control, there's, there's a lot of groupthink, there's a lot of like, this is just the way it is here, this is how we've always done it, and you can't question things, you can't think for yourself, and it's really hard a lot of times to, to, to break out of that, that cycle. So, there's the consumer church, there's the enmeshed church, and then finally there's the tribal church. With the tribal church... Everything is us versus them. We have the best preaching that is the most faithful to the Bible. Every, everybody else everywhere is just psychobabble. Um, it's shallow. Um, our groups have the best community, the most authenticity. Everybody else is loosely connected, inauthentic, and not as good as we are. We all vote for the, uh, the best candidate. It's our candidate versus the world. Um, our candidate institutes the most Bible-based social programs. Everybody else is compromised, sold out, 
and of the devil, usually, when it comes to politics. Uh, let's be honest. Everyone else is too liberal or everyone else is too conservative. So the thing with the tribal church is it really does play into the, the culture wars, the us versus them, where we make everybody else an enemy, everybody that's unlike us, everybody that dr- doesn't dress like us, vote like us, shop where we shop, all the things. It's an us versus them. It's, it's, tribalism is almost an extension of the MS church, but there's this culture war ethos that comes along with it where you're just always kind of geared up for battle. And, and as, as soon as you find out someone's a little bit different, um, you're geared up to go to war with them. So how do, we, how do we resist this? Number one is being aware of it, of course. These, are, these may seem like they're, they're good or they have positive things involved with them, but at the end of the day, it's always something um, above and beyond Jesus. It's gathering for a cause or gathering mainly to be a part of a community or just, it's something else, and then Jesus is kind of tacked on. Really, the only way to combat this and push against it and resist it is to be a Jesus-first church. To be a humble church is what I want to call it. To be a church that focuses on being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus does. Making room for different expressions of faith, different ways to talk about Jesus and our experiences with God. You can have a different favorite Bible passage that's not going to wreck anyone's life because theirs is different from yours. Or you can have another favorite book. There was a dust-up recently on X or Twitter or whatever because two Bible people said, I don't really like John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and a bunch of people kind of went overboard. I've never even read that. It's like one of the Puritan, and I have to get a dictionary to read it. I don't know if I like it or not. I haven't really given it a chance. But that's what we do. Like, we give room for like, yeah, I don't really like that author as much as this other one. That's okay, because we want to be a humble church that embraces the character of Christ. And I don't know if you've looked up the different men that he chose to be his apostles, and, and then even the women uh, and men in the, in, the, in the broader category of discipleship. But he chose 12 young men that could not be any more different. And he used that the, the different nature and character of each, and he brought them close, and he formed a church out of them. So here's how I, I would sum this up. In Romans 12, 9, it says this. This is what a humble church looks like. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, these verses aren't some performative checklist. Like, how good am I doing on that? And, you know, I got to try really hard. Like, if you're terrible at some of these things, then yeah, maybe grow in them. But I don't think Paul is laying out, like, how, how to determine, you know, how many check marks on a given Sunday is how great your church is. No, I think it's a vision cast. For this is what the church of Jesus will look like and can look like that leads to human flourishing. So maybe as we read this, you can ask yourselves not, you know, how well am I doing at any individual thing here for my own? That's an individualistic way to look at this. Maybe ask yourself, 
how can I contribute so that our church looks like that? What would it look like for us to be a church that honored each other more than ourselves? That didn't seek our, our comfort and our own gain first? What would it be like to be a church that mourned with those who mourned and rejoiced with those who rejoiced? With any of the tribal churches that are throwing grenades, we bless them instead of being nasty back to them. What would it look like to be a church of love? I think that's Paul's vision. And the question for us is, why not? The same Holy Spirit that fell on the day of Pentecost, the same Holy Spirit that filled Paul, struck him blind blind first, but then healed him and stuff, that same Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that we have living in us and the same Holy Spirit whose presence is here now. Why not us? So what would it look like for us to be a church of love, a humble church that's for Jesus first and foremost? So I know we're all coming from different places. Some of us might just not be ready to jump into deep community yet. I get that. Like, I'm not asking you go, to go from zero to 100 unless you're just ready for that. You just feel like the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, that's you he's talking about. That's great. Most of us, I think, depending on your background, some of us have church hurt our background. Some aren't even sure where you stand with God, and that's totally cool and okay, and I'm glad you're here today to help us walk with you as you sort that out. Many of us need to just take one step and put one foot in front of the other to say, I want to sign up for community. I actually want to do this. Whatever, whatever's holding me back, I'd love to be aware of that and maybe let God speak to that in my heart. But for most of us, it's just, yes, I want closer connection with people who are following Jesus. And that's really all it takes. And so what I want to invite you to is not sign up for anything today or, you know, claim, you know, you don't have to come forward and go, I want community, like an altar call or anything like that. I just want to invite you to the family meeting. That's all I want. We're going to elaborate a little bit more on some community building things that we're going to do in the fall. I would love you, even if you don't end up plugging into that, there's no commitment by showing up, but you can just be aware of these. This is the way in, in which Mosaic Church is cultivating connection and community and we invite you to be a part of that, okay? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to